0: As Paul said, we are in the season of Lent, and so we are going to be looking for the next few weeks at the death of Jesus, leading up to the suffering of Jesus. Um, Speaking of suffering, some of you know I had a bit of a health problem this week. Um, Monday I came down with an eye infection in this eye, and it got really bad even right away Monday night. A lot of pain, light sensitivity. Uh, So I went to the doctor on Tuesday, and he said I had a bad infection in my eye. Um, Sarah's a medical doctor, as you know, and one of the house rules is you don't mess around with eye stuff. (laughs) Eyes are sensitive, very susceptible. I have two friends who have gone completely blind in one eye from eye infections, normal stuff. Um, And I didn't think it was pink eye, although pink eye can cause blindness as well. Did you know that back in the day when... People would emigrate to the United States. They'd come through Ellis Island. The main reason they would do a med check is they'd check for smallpox, and they'd check for pink eye. And if you had pink eye, you got sent back. Because pink eye is very contagious, and it causes blindness. It'll blind you. Now, today, we can easily cure that. But back then, it was a real problem. And this wasn't pink eye, though. This was something else. Um, And there are some eye problems that are extremely virulent. And as the doctor looked, she was like, You've got at least two ulcers on your eye. Yeah, yeah she did. She's, um, it looked really bad. And she's like, this is happening really fast. If you just started getting sick yesterday, so you need to go to a specialist tomorrow. And so I went on Wednesday and Thursday and Friday because he kept saying you have to come back tomorrow so we can check on how it's doing. Because if it turns to the worst, we have to do something different. Um, or you could lose vision forever. Yeah, super scary, right? <laughs> Out of nowhere oh my eye hurts and then the next day oh you might you know go blind <laughs> <laughs> um weakness <laughs> you were talking about that earlier weakness a little bit scary right inherently uh-huh. um so that it was a challenge to not worry about that you know sarah knows even more about medical stuff and probably more of a challenge even for her she's like i could list several th- things that could be really bad um and I had been swimming in a pool on Saturday, and one of the worst things you can get, you can get from public pools, because it's grown to be resistant to chlorine and some of the other stuff they put in the water, and it's particularly nasty and evil. Um, but I didn't have that, praise God. I didn't have any of the real bad ones. He's like, there's a few that they're eye killers. They're just, they just burrow their way straight into your wow. brain. Um, and praise God, I didn't have any of those. But I did have to go back every day, and another challenge is not thinking about the bill. <laughs> Six doctor visits, four really expensive um, eye drops. The guy's like, this is X amount of dollars. Are you sure you want this one? (laughs) And I'm like, I don't have a choice. Unless there's a generic, he's like, this is the generic. The other one was Um, 400-something. And so, you know, a a little bit of a challenge not to be concerned about the money. We're probably going to knock out our deductible in the first illness of the year. Um, But... God is good, despite all that kind of stuff, right? And so the eye is getting much better. And by Friday, he was like, you can start using a steroid. So yesterday, I started using some steroid drops. So the redness has gone way down. The swelling is down. I mean, you probably can't even maybe tell looking from there that there's anything wrong. Friday, it would have been horrible. You would have sent me home if I had tried to preach. (laughs) It would have been like, get out of here. It's disgusting, and you need to convalesce. Um, But now it's looking a lot better. It's feeling quite a bit better. Um, Still a little ways to go, but. I'll go to the doctor tomorrow and he will tell me it's all better. Or almost all better. So praise God for that. I am very thankful. Thank you to all of you who are praying for that. Um, Jesus, this is not a good segue, went through a lot of suffering as well. <laughs> Let's talk him about then. him. Let's talk about him. <laughs> um <laughs> I I did I should have I put it in the update, yeah. um, which came out late, um, because everything's late this week but um, next time I will do that yeah. yeah I'll send it out in an email. yeah I couldn't yeah. see yeah. I mean I couldn't yeah. I still can't see real well out of this eye because um, I would this is something I didn't know but because my cornea was like cut you know damaged being eaten um, all your white blood cells move into your cornea, cornea. to heal it mm-hmm. but now my cornea is all white <laughs> like I couldn't see it hardly at all on Friday I couldn't read the big E um, on the chart um, so then part of what the steroid does is it moves that stuff out of the way, clears you up so you can see a little better. So so that's getting a little better, but I have the podium on this side so I can hopefully read a little bit better. I haven't been driving much because it's scary to drive when you only have one eye. I know people do it. People learn to do it. You know, there are a lot of people who drive with one eye, but I didn't want to learn to do that <laughs> this week. Yeah. So let's look at John 19. Yes, John 19. Maybe I did say nine. Well, that's, that's really funny. Well, wow. I received that. I wasn't born blind, but I'll receive it anyway. Uh, 19. 19. Um, we're looking at verses 28 and 29. That's really funny. Um, 28 and 29. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. And a jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine. He said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. So this is the very end. End of the crucifixion, end of the passion. This is the death of Jesus. He's reached the end of his earthly journey now. He's hung on the cross for few hours and the creator of the universe is just about to allow himself to die for his creation when he says i thirst and for me this is one of those very human moments of jesus um, we see the divinity of jesus his god godliness and godness throughout the gospels all the time right and there are certain poignant pieces where we really see the humanity of Jesus come out. And I think the cross is probably the greatest one of those that we see the humanity of Jesus. And here he's at the end and he says, I thirst. What a human thing to say, right? Um, Now I think what's going on on the surface is he, he knows it's, he's done. Okay. This is it. And he's about to say his final words and he wants people to hear, but they can't hear because his lips and mouth and throat are all caked with blood, and they're cut, and they're nasty, and he, he he can't speak. Certainly not loud enough for anybody to be able to hear him, and he'd like to get the final words out. He wants the it is finished to be heard, because that's an important pronouncement. And so he says, I thirst to people who are killing him, and they give him a little vinegar, yummy, yummy, to drink, so that he can... Get his final words out. So that's what's going on on the surface. But there's a lot more going on behind the scenes. There's actually two different drinks that Jesus is offered during the crucifixion. And keep your finger in John and flip back to Matthew 27. Matthew 27, 34. This is the first drink he's offered on the cross. And so this is um, he's done the walk down to Golgotha now, and he's just, he's probably just about to get nailed to the cross. And in Matthew 27, 34, it says, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall, but when he tasted it, he would not drink it. So this is wine, regular wine, alcoholic wine mixed with gall. Anybody know what gall is? Um, It's a, it's a painkiller. We know gall by its other word, which is myrrh. Myrrh and gall are the same thing. Basically, you just grind up myrrh, and that's what gall is pretty much. And myrrh makes a lot of appearances in the Bible, right? It's one of the components of anointing oil in the tabernacle, in the temple. Myrrh is given to Jesus at his birth, which his parents receive and accept on his behalf. But now myrrh is offered to Jesus, and he denies it, which is interesting. Myrrh will also be used a few hours later to anoint the body. So he's offered myrrh, gall, which at the time was used as a painkiller. They'd crush it up. They'd put it in wine. And, of course, wine itself, having alcohol, has a painkilling effect and a uh, muscle-relaxing effect as well. So this was given as a mercy to people who were about to be crucified. Um, Some people think it was the Romans that did this. Um, Some people think it was a sneaky way to try to get crucifixion to actually last a little bit longer. If you can dull the pain in the – Relax some of their muscles. Maybe we can stretch out this whole torture thing, which could be true because that would be a very, very Roman thing to do. Um, but either way, um, at this point, Jesus has been beaten, right? He has the crown of thorns jammed on his head. He's been whipped to within an inch of his life. He's had to walk the whole way with his cross, and he couldn't do it. He, he physically gave – his body gave out. He, he had had it. He was done. They had to make somebody else carry the, rest, the cross the rest of the way. Okay? And now he gets here where they're about – I think they're about to nail him in. It doesn't say, but he's at Golgotha, and then he's crucified. So the, here he's offered this painkiller, and I don't think he can see at this point because they have punched him so much and, and everything. So they're just lifting a bowl up to his lips. And he, and he tastes it, and he says, no, I'm not going to take that. Why?
1: You want to experience all the pain.
0: Yeah. How crazy is that? I mean, I think that's exactly right, Steve. He's offered a painkiller. What more could you possibly want at this moment than anything that would alleviate some of that pain? Because what he has been through the last 20 hours or so is horrible, horrifying pain. And now the worst is yet to come, and he knows it. Right? He's about to get his hands and feet nailed and get raised up on the cross. And he is offered a painkiller. And he doesn't take it. I think that would have been the most tempting thing in the world. Now, there's nothing wrong with taking painkillers in and of themselves, okay? When you have knee surgery. Thank you. <laughs> or <laughs> when your eye is going crazy. Like, it's okay to have painkillers. I'm not saying it's not. But in this case, in Jesus' case, the Father had told him, you need to go through this pain. He had spent the whole previous, well, the night before this, in the garden praying that this wouldn't have to happen, remember? Remember? Okay, so he didn't want to go through this pain if he didn't have to. But the father had said, no, you have to. The pain is part of the deal. The suffering is part of what he had to go through. It wasn't just that he had to go through the act of being crucified. He had to experience the fullness of the suffering and the pain. That was part of his mission. That was part of the deal. And so he had to say no to that painkiller. That was the right thing for him to do at that time. But how tempting would that have been? I think this might have been his last big temptation on earth because, oh, my goodness, if someone offered me morphine at that moment, I'd be like, give me everything you have because how horrible. And it's about to get so much worse. And it, it's incredible to me that he, that he resists this, that he says no in, in, his, in his literally his weakest moment, weakest physical moment. And not just physical, but we'll see in a second. We're talking about emotional, mental pain as well. Yeah.
1: I think the other thing painkillers do is you can't think straight.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So he had a powerful message to still deliver from the cross. Yep. So it would have sabotaged his ability to speak clearly and give his final. His yes, mission wasn't done. Mm-hmm. Wanted I to keep he his wits. Yep. What he needed
0: to do. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think that's that's part of it as well. And so this, to me, this is a. An enormous act of humility on Jesus' part mm-hmm. to say, "Father, I'll, I'll, I'll do. I'll not only go through all this, but I won't take what's offered." I mean, it's at his lips; mm-hmm. it's right there. He could be like, "Oh, oops, I opened my mouth a little too far," you know. Yeah. So easy to do, but no, get that away. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to take that. That's it's amazing to me. On top of all this other stuff um, that he's willing to do, that so that's the first drink he's offered right at the beginning of the crucifixion. And now flip back to John. John 19, this is the second drink that he has offered on the cross. And this is a little bit different. He says, I thirst, and a jar of sour wine stood there. And it, he did all of this so that scripture would be fulfilled, it says. Well, what scripture is this talking about? Keep your finger in there and flip again to Psalm 69. This is one of the Messianic Psalms that talks about the death of Jesus. And the great thing about the Psalms in particular that speak of the death of Jesus is that they really get into more of what was happening behind the scenes. In the Gospels, it tells us a lot of the facts of the crucifixion, but this tells us what Jesus was feeling and what he was thinking. Psalm 69, we're going to start with verse 19. This is the scripture he's fulfilling that John's talking about. Psalm 69, 19. You know my reproach, my shame and my dishonor, my foes are all known to you. Now, this is Jesus speaking prophetically through, through David. Reproaches have broken my heart so that I am in despair. I looked for pity, but there was none. For comforters, but I found none. They gave me poison for food, and for my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink. Do you feel the emotional pain in that? In what Jesus is saying? The emotional pain, the mental anguish he's going through. It's not just physical, the crucifixion. We can the physical stuff's easy for us to see. It's easy for us to, to imagine a little bit more, because it's more tangible. But the emotional pain, the sorrow, the despair, the rejection, the grief, because remember, he's being crucified now. It's not just that, oh, my friends rejected me and everything else. The sin of all of human history is being placed upon him. The father is rejecting him as well. So his emotional anguish is extreme at this point. And that's one of the psalms, I think, where you can really, really feel that. And so that psalm says, they offer me sour wine to drink, which is what we see back in John. Um, He says, I thirst and a jar full of sour wine stood there They put a sponge on a hyssop branch, held it to his mouth, and then Jesus received the sour wine. And then he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. So he, re- he literally fulfills that scripture. John 19, we're back in John 19, 28 and 29. Any thoughts so far, questions on that? Okay, d- verse 29 is really interesting. Look at that, John nineteen twenty nine. So they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. Does any of that strike you as a little bit odd or unusual? Put the stick, no? they, they put it on a stick to j- hold it up because he's yeah. way up on the cross. Yeah. But they tell you what kind of stick it was, a <laughs> hyssop branch. Oh, they, uh, that is a weird bit of detail isn't it? We don't know what kind of wood the cross was made of. That, you would think that would be a much more important thing, right? But John puts this really, really specific detail. Like They gave him sour wine to drink. That's pretty detailed in and of itself. But to tell us what the stick was made of? The Passover, the that's it's crazy, and there's a reason for it. Exactly. Now, what, what was happening right now in Jerusalem, Steve just said it, it's Passover. And he was the Passover lamb right now. That's exactly right. So this is Passover time, right? Jesus is on the cross, and he says they hold up a hyssop branch. Well, when we see details like that in the Bible, when we're reading something, we're like, whoa, that's a really specific detail. Why is that in there, John? Why did you say that? Why did you mention it? Clearly, his readers would have got it right away. We don't, because we're 2,000 years later and not Jewish, okay? But a hyssop branch was used back in Egypt on the first Passover to sprinkle the blood of the lamb on the doors and lentils of the house. So we're in the last plague on the house of Egypt, right? Death is about to ride through, and God gives his people a way to save themselves, to protect themselves from death. And that salvation was the blood of an unblemished lamb, and they took a hyssop branch, and they used that hyssop branch to sprinkle the blood. And now, fast forward to Passover time quite a while later, and we have the literal lamb of God, the true lamb of God, who is dying his people and through whose blood we are saved not just from the angel of death for a night but for all time forever so jesus dying as our ultimate sacrifice as the true passover lamb to save us all and we get all of that just from john mentioning that it was a hyssop branch isn't that amazing and there's a lot of those we could do a whole three-hour talk <laughs> about all the, all the different ways in which Passover and the crucifixion connect as the crucifixion being the ultimate culmination of that whole idea of a sacrificial lamb for the sake of the people, who Jesus was, of course, the ultimate of that. So throughout this whole passage and, and the whole crucifixion story, we see a really poignant look, I think, at the humanity of Jesus. He's never more human than he is now. He is suffering He is injured. He is frail to the point where he's willing to take a couple mouthfuls of sour wine. And sour wine is vinegar, by the way. It's not wine like alcoholic wine. It's what we would call vinegar. So, And I don't mean a nice aged balsamic that you would put on your salad. We're talking nasty, good for cleaning the windows, not for drinking kind of vinegar. right? And he's willing to take a mouthful of that to wet his whistle enough to get some of that blood and nast out of the way enough in order to say his final words. And imagine taking a mouthful of vinegar when you're all cut up uh. everywhere, okay? <laughs> but he was willing to go through that extra little bit of pain at the end so that he could say it is finished because that was important to say. And we're going to talk about that maybe next week. It was to give them to drink they really did. if they needed it. Romans are really cruel. They have a hundred different words for to kill. There's a hundred verbs in Latin for to kill. They were experts at it. Okay. These are, uh, we're talking about a very sick, sick, sick culture um, and society. I, I was an ancient history major. I mean, an ancient studies major in college. So I studied the Romans a lot. There's a lot to admire, the aqueduct, a lot of other great things. But uh, when it comes to treating human beings well, they, they, they did not excel at that. Kathy. Uh, not not well. I mean, he, he could speak well enough to say, I, eh, I thirst, or whatever, to the person right at the bottom. But he wanted to proclaim, it is finished, so that everybody could hear. And I don't think he was able to do that um, well enough. Um, and he also then wanted to fulfill the scripture from mm-hmm. Psalm 69, which we read. Um, and so he was able to do both there. Right. And they didn't drink water, really, back then. He had to boil it, and it was, that was a process that they wouldn't have bothered with for people who were dying. Um, and they wouldn't have given him anything nice to drink because <laughs> that costs money. So vinegar is just a byproduct of making wine. So here, take some of that nasty stuff. Um, Jesus was fully human. And I think we see that at the cross better than anywhere else. And most of us, I think, we have an easy time understanding that Jesus was fully God. We get that. Jesus was God. Yes, I understand that. He was the son of God. I understand what that means. But it's harder sometimes to grasp the idea that Jesus was fully human. He really was fully, 100% human. And it's hard to think about the cross even sometimes because He's it's so weak. He is so weak. He's so vulnerable on the cross. it's It's strange to think about the creator of the universe being tortured and humiliated by his own creation it's hard to grasp it with our minds it's hard to grasp the fact that he could have come down at any second smote his enemies healed himself Mm -hmm. right of course he could have done that one thought (laughs) to the father and that would have happened but instead of doing that he prays for those people he asked the Lord to forgive them for what they were doing and he let them continue to humiliate him and torture him and murder him. And it it's a very human moment, but it's a difficult moment to look at. And that's why I think the season of Lent exists because it is a hard thing to look at, but we have to. <laughs> We have to regularly, I think, look at the cross and not the after cross, the nice cross, which is draped with a pretty purple you know, thing or whatever it is that we often look at the cross as. No, the, the bloody, nasty cross. Mm-hmm. We have to make ourselves look at that and think about that. That's what communion is about, that we proclaim his death until he comes again. And we have to remember that. We have to think about that. It's important for yeah. us to remember, not not so that we feel terrible about ourselves, or feel condemned, that's not what it's about. But it reminds us of what Jesus has done for us. It reminds us of the grace, the, the incredible worth of the grace that we have. The grace that we have was not free. It cost a lot. And not just physically, mentally, emotionally. That psalm talks about despair. He looked for comfort, and there was none. That's how he felt on the cross. Some of us have felt that to one degree or another in our life. We've felt despair. We've wanted comfort. We've wanted help. We haven't found anything. We felt alone. We felt rejected, abandoned. Jesus felt all of those things on the cross. He experienced all of that to an extreme degree. And it's important for us to think about that mm-hmm. at least once a year. Yes. Can you just speak
1: to one of the things that just still baffles me and I don't get the separation of the father and the son? Mm-hmm. At the cross, in separate, you know, the separation, the pain of being separated mm-hmm. from someone you love so much. I did that at the cross, and the only time we'll be fully redeemed at the end. But I, in my reasoning, I don't understand how did how the Father and the Son and the Divinity he turned his back on his Son. Yeah, my mind.
0: we're gonna spend a whole Sunday on that oh, good. in a couple <laughs> weeks. I'll just real quickly. Um, under the old covenant, sin separated us from God because the g- nature of God is holy and the nature of us is not holy, mm-hmm. and holy creates a separation. God is always right, and we do bad stuff, and that creates a, a natural, like a scientific almost separation between us and God, and so sin always separated us from God under the old covenant. But and so when Jesus was on the cross. And he had lived a perfect life. He, he, he qualified to be the lamb upon which all the sins were placed. God then obliged, and the father placed all the sin of all mankind upon Jesus. Well, sin separates us from God. So at that moment, the father was separated from the son. And, and we're going to talk about how insane that is. <laughs> because for the first time in history, the Trinity, the one God in three, inseparable, was separated. And I don't think we could. We in this life, it, maybe five hundred thousand years into heaven, we might start to understand a little bit of how terrible this would have been to experience for Jesus and for the Father, both. But to have that separation happen was it was unbelievable. I think the angels were looking around, going, I, "I don't get it. I don't know what's happening." Steve. Which is what the Bible says, yeah.
1: And he he said that if sin sin was in his presence, it would burn up. It was actually a loving. That if he had not separated himself from Jesus, it would have destroyed him. That's what I got from it. But and Habakkuk one thirteen says, "You cannot look." He cannot look upon you.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, But. Yeah, I, I, it's very hard to understand all of this stuff, for sure. Um, there there was a separation. That's why Jesus says, why have you forsaken me? Because he was forsaken. Um, the most important thing for us to remember is that because that separation happened, we can no longer ever be separated from God. Sin no longer separates us from God for those who are in Christ Jesus that's old covenant we're now in the new covenant and once we're in christ we are always in christ because our sin isn't stronger than his blood and so no matter what we do it doesn't undo the cross in our life it doesn't undo the power of the blood of jesus we are placed in christ the spirit of christ is placed in us and that now exists for eternity in heaven forever secure and so we can sin and repent yes repentance is still important but we can't undo what was done there is no more separation which is why there's no more condemnation for those who are not in christ who are they're they're still under the old covenant from a certain point of view and so separation between them and christ still exists because of their sin but once we come under christ we have been crucified with him (laughs) and he now lives through us amen Amen. and so this stuff is hard to understand (laughs) and, and and in in reality it's this stuff is this big and at our best day we get this much understanding i really believe that when it comes to a lot of this stuff i think that we will have eternity to learn and understand and explore more and I, i i have no doubt in my mind that millions of years from now, when we have understood more what it is Jesus did on the cross, we'll just be more and more in awe of him and more and more grateful and thankful to him every single day, every single year. When we really understand the fullness of what he went through, the fullness of what he did for us. Um, And I think that's part of what eternity is going to be like. (laughs) Us growing in gratefulness and thankfulness to the father and the son for what happened right here. Well, I'm just reading the Bible, <laughs> basically. <laughs> yeah. This is the great story, the greatest story ever told. Um, at, at Christmas, we talked a lot about the humility of Jesus and how incredible that was and astounding that was. And that was really a, that was just a foreshadowing of the humility of the cross. It was just a You ain't seen nothing yet because on the cross, Jesus is at his most humble, his most weak. And he shows us that for God, power comes through humility, not through the overt use of power. Again, he could have jumped down off that cross. All Romans gone with a thought, but he didn't. It took more strength to stay on the cross than to get down. Do we all agree with that? It took a lot more power, a lot more strength, a lot more fortitude, a lot more will. Humility is usually the harder choice. Sometimes people ask me, how do I know if what I'm doing is the humble thing? And I say, for me, the litmus test is the humble choice is usually the harder one. I don't know that that's always true. I'm sure we can think of an example where it wasn't. But the humble choice is usually the harder one. And God is very humble. It's who he is. It's his nature. He's attracted to humility because it's who he is. And Jesus was never more attractive, never more wonderful, never more perfect than when he was on the cross, when he died for us. Yeah, he was just meat. I mean, horrible. And again, that paled in comparison to the internal. The internal suffering of Christ was more than the external. The emotional pain was a lot more severe, I think, than the and the mental pain and the separation. When we talk about that separation, w- and we'll talk about that again next week, the week after.
1: But if I said um, to this idea that we got saved. Yes, now we're free. But so much of Scripture talks about He made the way for us to follow, or take up your cross daily. So why do we keep getting sabotaged when we get hit with the stuff? We want God to just take it away, like the Garden of Gethsemane, and He showed us. The
0: Then about God to keep removing the I think that's really true, and that's kind of where I think we should end this morning. Because when we look at the cross, it's not just to see everything that Jesus did for us. That's true for sure. But it's also to see how do we respond to life when life looks like that. Obviously, it looks like that to a lesser degree. I don't think any of us have, have been crucified in this room in reality. No, but we do experience suffering. And sometimes it's extreme, and sometimes it's severe, and sometimes it feels like we're dying. Sometimes we might be. Sometimes my eye might be gone. Sometimes we might not walk again. Sometimes it is scary, and sometimes it is really hard, and sometimes suffering is real. Sometimes someone dies, and they're gone. And we can look at the cross and look at Jesus and how he responded to all of these things as a, an example for us of how we are to respond, how we are to live in such complete humility and dependence on the Father. He is in complete dependence on the Father. He doesn't argue with the Father. Why do, but why do I have to experience all this pain? Why can't I have a little bit of painkiller? Why does it have to take this long? Why? Why? He doesn't argue. He doesn't ask why. He doesn't say, but Father, is it really necessary? He doesn't even ask for deliverance because he already did. At the Garden of Gethsemane, he did ask for deliverance. That's not wrong. When we're in those situations, it's not wrong to pray, Lord, can you please deliver me from this situation? But when God sometimes says, no, you are meant to go through this, then we can look to Jesus as how do we go through it? How how do we do it in such a way that we can honor God? And the answer is always that we go as low as we can. Humility is always the right choice. It's always the right answer. And notice he doesn't accuse anyone else. He there's no blame. When we're going through hard stuff, we blame. We yell. We rail. We accuse. Anybody, sometimes we accuse anybody in our way. Some, I mean, like when a little kid has a problem, like Bella, she's four. If she falls and hurts herself, she's hitting me as I'm trying to comfort her because she's angry. It doesn't make sense. But we do the same thing. When we're hurting, we rail against everybody around us, even those trying to comfort us. Jesus doesn't do that because he's given himself up. He has so surrendered himself and who he is and his own future and his own desires. Do you think Jesus maybe had some of his own desires? Wouldn't it be nice if I could get married? Wouldn't it be nice if I could raise a family? I think he had those desires. Absolutely, I think he did. But he gave them up. He put them on the altar before the Father. And he said, this is my life. I give it to you. I give you my life. I give you my future. I give you everything. And I'll do what it is you've asked me to do. To the ultimate degree. And that's our example. That we lay down our life. And that's why I think Galatians 2.20 is such an important verse. You can jot that down somewhere. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. To me, that verse is the cry to become more like Jesus through that humility and to realize that we have a way to do that because God has placed us in Christ. So let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you that you have made that way for us. And we pray that you would help us to walk into that. We know the truth of your word that says we have been crucified with Christ. We no longer live, but Christ lives in us. And I pray that you would help us to walk out the reality of that in our daily lives. And that when our own selfishness rises up against your purposes in our life, that we can let that selfishness be crucified and stay on the cross and remember what you did and how you responded. I pray that when we are tempted to yell, to complain about our situation or about other people, that we can remember what you did on the cross while they gambled over your clothes. You prayed for them. You forgave them. You asked the Father to forgive them even. Those who were actively torturing you jabbed a spear in your side, forgive him for that. Lord, we're in awe of your humility. And I pray that you would help us to grasp that. I pray that you would give us a revelation of your humility, of the weakness you were willing to walk in and display the shame and the reproach you were willing to accept from others for our sake. And I pray that you would teach us how to walk in that kind of humility. Teach us how to walk so completely sold out to you and to your will for our life that we will go wherever you call us to go and we will take up our cross every single day and follow after you. And that even when you call us to walk through those deep valleys those difficult times, that we could walk through it like you did. We know that we can only do that through you. But we thank you that through you, we can. Because you have adopted us into your family. And you have placed us in Christ. And you, we have the spirit of God in us. And so we can become more like Jesus. Help us to cooperate with the divine nature that you have placed in us that is already humble. The Spirit of Christ is humble. Help us to cooperate with that humility day by day. And I know that you, Father God, are so attracted to that humility that your favor and your grace and your blessings are just going to constantly flow when we do that. When we cooperate with the humility of Christ that is already in us. We pray that you would help us to do that and walk in that more day by day. And I pray that throughout this week, you would help us to just continue to meditate on the cross and on what it is that you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.